the heart of this series is that we would think about who we are becoming in Jesus, that we would uh, remind ourselves the sort of encouragements that we need along this journey to say, you know, we are becoming something in Christ. And the way that we are formed in that, I think, is something that maybe we forget. Like, we go through all the effort of coming to believe in Jesus, but then who is it that we are becoming in light of our belonging in God? And so last, uh, last series was talking about how we belong, that we belong to God because Jesus died for our sins, because Jesus was faithful, because Jesus rescued us. And so he provided the forgiveness of sins. He's the one who's adopted us. He's the one who has called us then to come and be a part of his family. And so then the challenge of Romans 12 is, is how do we look and how do we take shape as a community of people that believe that Jesus is the Savior of the world? And when you look at the early church, the early church, the very first church and its formation in Acts 2.42 is a great example for us as we look at what they do in light of Jesus being crucified and resurrected. And we know Peter's sermon. He, he looks to the Jews and he says to them, this Jesus whom you crucified is both Lord and Messiah. And they are convicted in their hearts that Jesus is the king that they've been waiting for. They are convicted in their hearts that God's kingdom has broken into the world. And now they are left looking at their lives and they say, brothers, what shall we do to be saved? What must we do next? And Peter says, well, here you go. You repent and you are baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so thousands of people are baptized that day. And uh, my dad, he always tells me, he said, Jordan, you can never have a 10 sermon. If Peter's sermon at Pentecost is a 10, you know, he baptized 4,000 people that day, you know, so don't expect for anything more than a five from me. And so my dad always, whenever he comes, he always has to rate me as preaching. And Tim can attest to it. He always rates Tim too when he preached and uh, he's just critical, you know, I, that's whatever. Uh, but so Peter, he preaches a 10 sermon. Thousands of people come and are saved and they're they believe in Jesus and they are baptized and they, they start forming this community. And it's this community that I think we've all been striving for as Christians since, to live as they live. That they devoted themselves to God and to prayer and spending time together and breaking bread together. And it's described of them that they met each other's needs, that there were no needs among this community. And so when we... Uh, perhaps dream about what sort of church the Etna Green Church of Christ can be, I think we want to be an Acts 2.42 church. That's the vision in front of us, and that's the vision that the Restoration Movement, the Churches of Christ, Christian churches, the movement of which we are part of, has, has had as their vision and their mission so that we would be an Acts 2.42 church, that we would devote ourselves to prayer, that we would devote ourselves to God's word, that we would spend time in fellowship with one another, that we would care for and meet each other's needs, that we would participate in the Lord's Supper and breaking bread. We take that to be very literal, that they were, they were remembering Christ when they gathered together. And so we have that as our sort of foundation. And the idea of which is that if we do those things, I think that we would be the community that God's calling us to be. There are ways in which 
we need to work on this. We need to be challenged and encouraged. That our vision comes from God's word and who his people uh, have strived to be. That we'd be faithful to this covenant that God pours out for us, this new covenant in his blood that we remember together each week. That Christ has poured his life out for us. That we would have our life in him. This morning as we take a next step in our path towards unity, towards glorifying God, through renewal of our hearts and encouragement, as we make steps together in becoming what Christ is calling us to be. Who is God calling you to become? Let's pray. God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for time together to study your word, your faithful and good word for us. Lord, we desire to glorify you in all that we do. And Lord, we wrestle with a world that would pull us and conform us into so many other things that a community of saints who love you and seek you and glorify you is an uphill climb. It's an uphill battle, God, unless we know now of all the ways in which your Son helps us belong together today. Thank you for the powerful work of Jesus in our life. Thank you for the powerful work that took place on the cross so many years ago and the spirit that is still at work today in this church body. And so God, let us choose your way. Let us choose your truth. Let us choose you. Above everything else, let us choose you. Shape us into your people who point the world to the light, to hope, to salvation. May our life together change us and transform us through your spirit into a wonderful new creation. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. At the heart of... Uh, Romans 12 is Paul's opening sort of challenge, that we would be transformed by the renewing of our minds, that we would no longer be conformed to the world, but be transformed through the Spirit, that we would become who he's calling us to be. And so as we've walked through this, there have been some uh, great challenges towards unity, uh, towards a life in God and devoting ourselves to one another, that we would hate what is evil and cling towards what is good. We live in a world where you spend all week being challenged and conformed uh, to the world, and it feels like sometimes it's all riding on the sermon. And God reminded me this morning, it's not all riding on the sermon. It's okay, Jordan, you can be lousy. And so I'm, that was basically God saying, you know, that was God's pep talk for me this morning. Hang in there. That God is working throughout the week. That God is interacting with you and your study and your time together and your fellowship and encouraging one another that it's not just this moment, but every day we can open our hearts and open our day to Jesus, that he wants to be at work in you, in you and in your life. And so this morning I want to open just with Romans 12, 13 through 16. It says, Share with the Lord's people who are in need and practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. 
Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. When Jesus was preaching his sermon on the mount, there is a moment in the heart of the message where Jesus starts talking about something that we all wrestle with, and that is anxiety and worry. I know that I can wrestle with it. I know that we all do. And in a world filled with anxiety, it can be difficult for us to hear the words, do not worry. It's like, okay, now I'm worried that I'm worried and I'm disappointing Jesus, right? And so Jesus, he gives us, instead of worry, I want you to look at creation. And Wendy put together a wonderful set this morning just to remind us of the blessings that we have. And that's what Jesus does in his sermon. He reminds them of the blessings that God pours out on the birds, the blessing he's poured out on his creation, and to point us towards the blessings of what we have in, in God and, what he, and how he cares for you. He says, you know, look at the trees and look at the birds and look at the fields and look at how I have cared for them, how God our Father cares for them. And he says, well, how much do you think he cares about you? You who have been created in God's image. And so Jesus is trying to lift that sort of worrisome burden on, our, on us And he says, this is what I want for you. This is what God's calling you to. He says, seek first my uh, my kingdom and my righteousness. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and God will care for all of these other things. And so when God is forming a community, he's forming us around seeking first God's kingdom and his righteousness. When he forms the church, they are formed around seeking first God's kingdom and his righteousness, caring for and meeting the needs of those around them so that nobody has a worry or a concern. And so when I pick up Romans 12, and in the heart of this, he says to us something that uh, Paul says to us, that we are to be a people who care for and meet one another's needs. He says, share with the Lord's people who are in need. Share with those who are in need. It is a continual challenge, I think, to the body of, of Christ to say, We are a people who care for and meet the needs of one another. Uh, I preached a sermon series through the book of Deuteronomy. And in the heart of Deuteronomy is Deuteronomy 15. Deuteronomy 15 was a message to the Israelites to make sure that there were no needs uh, going unmet in in the nation of Israel, in their communities. And so it was this challenge to make sure that they would continue to care for and meet the needs of people in their in their community. And so there was this whole thing designed, and it was, it was not about taking care of all the problems in the world. It was talking about taking the care of the problems right there in the community of the Israelites. God allowed for caring for the foreigners, and, and God, you know, God cared about them too, but he said, your primary focus is to be Israel. And that's the Deuteronomy 15 chapter. And so... Uh, I was inspired by that to start the Deuteronomy 15 fund. You know, I, uh, I, you know, I thought about like maybe I could have come up with a better name for it, uh, but it's a reminder to say, well, what is this fund about? Well, it's actually all laid out for you right there in Deuteronomy 15, and so I'm justifying my lack of creativity. But it is a guiding principle to say through this fund we're going to care for and meet the needs of the church family. There will be all kinds of outward needs all the time. But we will be a community that cares for and meets the needs of our church family. 
And so if you're saying from this series and you want to take very seriously, share with the Lord's people, and you're wondering, how do I share with the Lord's people? What is an avenue to do that? Deuteronomy 15 has been a fund that's been used just for that. That there are needs that come up throughout throughout uh, a week, throughout uh, the year, where people are running into rough spots. This is a season in which that often happens. Uh, we have to, there's more expenses in the month of December than any other month. And so it, it, it really hurts family budgets. And it always seems to be when the refrigerator stops working or whatever. And so if you're saying, hey, I, I would like to be a part of that, there are two things that you can do. You can, one, give to the fund and designate it as that. Or you can also say, Jordan, I want to be a part of that ministry and helping the church family. Oftentimes it just ends up coming to me, and because I'm the point person, it, it, I don't, I end up shouldering all of it. And my wife and many wonderful people in my life say, Jordan, you need to stop shouldering everything. And so this is me asking for help. If you would like to be a part of it, that's a, <laughs> Terry's giving applause because I don't ask for it often enough. It's a rare, a rare sighting. So. There are needs, and we're aware of needs. And if you, in your life, uh, life together, think, hey, how do we take care of our church family? What are we doing for that? We created it about a year ago, and it's already been used, and it's helped people in our church family. And if you're wondering, like, you know, when you give your money to different organizations, you wonder, is it going to where it needs to get? Um, there's... There's no fees, there's no like, you know, middleman. It's going directly to helping people in our family. And, um, and I think that that glorifies God. Um, the ultimate heart of that is, is that we would live out what I think Acts 2 is doing, that we would live out what Deuteronomy 15 aspired to. And I think it lives out what Jesus is teaching us in, the, in seeking first God's kingdom and his righteousness. That we would be a community where there would be no worries because we're all meeting each other's needs and seeking first God in this kingdom. So that's a little bit of a challenge. I'm heading for your wallet and your heart in that message, that we would be generous and kind and gracious to one another, that we would share with one another. And this means also, like I was talking to Al. Al, he was talking to me about some things going on, and he has a tool. And I was like, man, I might need to borrow that tool. So instead of me going out and buying a tool, Al has a tool for me, and I'm going to fix a problem, and I'm so excited about it. It can be something as trivial as that, but all of it is sharing and meeting the needs of our church family. Can we be that church and have that heart for one another? So Paul gives us the challenge, and I think it's biblically rooted in the story of Israel. It's biblically rooted in the message of Christ. And it is the foundational thing for a church body to say, we care for and meet the needs of our church family. You may be sitting there thinking, okay, I, I need some help, but I don't know how to ask for it. And I think the point of it would be to just keep it to yourself and don't let anyone know. Right? Yes, okay. Got the sarcasm, that's good. All right. So then, uh, practice hospitality is attached to that. Sharing with the Lord's people is also attached to practicing hospitality. And it just has me thinking about life in general 
it is much easier to know what's going on in people's lives when you're spending time together and you're welcomed into their life. If you're wondering, how do I get to know people? If you're wondering, how do I, how do I share with the Lord's people? I think it starts with sharing your life and being a welcoming person. Uh, I want you all to do something for me. I want you to hold up your hands, and I want you to clench your fists. All of you participate now. All right? Clenching your fists. Now, all of you put your dukes up, right? This, you put your dukes up, right? You know, you're ready. This is the position and posture of what? Not very welcoming, is it? You should all look at you like, it looks like I made a very offensive point right now. Like, I should do a little selfie. Now, all right, keep your hands up. Now I want you to do this. Which form is practicing hospitality? And what form and posture should the church be? When Jesus says, share with the Lord's people, you can put your hands down now. I'm, I'm learning that you're supposed to do visual and creative things to help land the point. It's taken 15 years, just trust me. Right? And so a posture of open-handedness. Sharing with the Lord's people when I go home to my in-laws this week, uh, if my father-in-law opened the door this way, I would think something was wrong, right? But I anticipate that my in-laws will open their hands like this. The issue that people have with the church is oftentimes their perception is that the church is this posture. When the church's position should be what? And so when we think about what community we want to be, sharing with the Lord's people requires that our hands no longer be clenched and tight-fisted, but that we would practice generosity and open-handedness open and kindness and hospitality. Would you be a hospitable people who open your arms and open your homes and open your hearts to people and care for and minister to one another? What is your posture? When I think about, think about your heart and your life and your home, will you share with and care for God's people? So I think when we think about the journey of discipleship and who are we becoming, disciples share with one another, care for one another, meet each other's needs. They practice hospitality. Disciples then also bless their enemies. They bless those who persecute you and bless and do not curse. Uh, the opposite of that would be to be closed-fisted towards our enemies. So Paul is all about opening up our hearts and placing blessing on people rather than curses. And so it's from a posture of let me be gracious to you to then also let me be a blessing to you and bestow grace and kindness and mercy to you. Instead of how can I get even with you, how can I be a blessing to you? And so Paul is getting right at the heart of the sort of like the ways that we conform to the world. The way we conform to the world in the practice of our enemies is what? To be closed-fisted. To retaliate, to, to bring about harm, to bring about uh, getting evenness or whatever, you know. We want to get even. But in the spirit of Christ that calls us towards, Paul, Paul is challenging us to come back, take a step back and say that I can trust in God's mighty hand. 
that I can trust in God's judgment, not my own. That I can trust that God will right the wrongs, that God will make sure that the poor are lifted up, that God will make sure that those who have done evil, that they will be dealt with properly. That God will deal with me properly. And so it's an invitation for God to work in our lives and to trust in him, and it's our job in this world to be open-handed blessings. What was God's uh, covenant to Abraham, this promise he says to him, is that I'm going to be your God, you're going to be my people, and he says you're going to be a blessing to who? To all people, all nations. God is fulfilling that when he uses us to be a blessing to his enemies be a blessing to the world, to be a blessing to our neighbors, to be a blessing to each other. God is blessing the world through faithful people who love Jesus Christ. And that's you. You're a part of that. And so then as we look at, uh, as it continues, that we would bless those who persecute you, we bless and do not curse, we also rejoice with those who rejoice, and we mourn with those who mourn. Disciples communicate needs and praises for God's glory. Uh, in the Bible, we learn about people who have leprosy. Now, I, I think, if I understand correctly, leprosy ended up manifesting itself as a skin disease. And so it was very easy to tell the person who had leprosy, and they would be ostracized um, as, we, you know, as they would have these diseases. And it was like, okay, they're unclean. We don't want to spend any time with them. Well, leprosy is rooted in a sort of neuropathy problem. They lost feeling in their extremities, and so when they would get wounded and hurt, they would get cuts, and because there were no antibiotics, because they were unaware of their wound, by the time it was discovered, this open wound had already been filled with bacteria and problems, and then it manifests itself in gross skin diseases. Because there was a part of their body that was wounded, they weren't able to properly care for it, protect it, and clean it. I would say that the state of the church is often having a leprosy neuropathy problem. We don't communicate well enough. Um, there's an old joke, and I was trying to remember all of it, but uh, it's something along the lines of, the church was doing well until it started communicating better. And that is that like, people started figuring out how many different opinions they had or different ailments and different, differing opinions. And so some of it is a hesitation to say, hey, you all need to start talking more. Uh, but but we, if we are conforming, if we conform to the world, if you think about how we're being shaped by the world, is it pushing us towards community or isolation? I feel like the pressure to me is drawing me to be, as I'm being conformed to the world, I feel like it's drawing me away from community and towards isolation. That I would spend uh, my days just focusing on my device, that I'd spend my days not interacting with a retail customer, but I would just punch a couple buttons into my phone and get what I want. That my limitation and interaction and time with people, that I'd be drawn away into isolation. And so as I think about what we are called to be in our being transformed into a community of faithful people in Jesus Christ, that we should be doing life together. And it's not just uh, you know, a sort of phrase that 
preachers have been saying for all of these years, but that we would actually be people who function and live our lives together and care for and meet each other's needs. It's hard to share for, with the Lord's people when we're not communicating and understanding who we are. And so part of me feels pressure by this because it's like, okay, am I making room in my life to spend more time with you? And that's a real challenge because my, my schedule doesn't really lend itself to a lot of extra things right now. I have these three kids and they're busy and there's just things going on with all of that. But that can become an excuse, a reason to live my life in isolation and not be interacting with others and not share with you. And so I think we all have sort of our silos that we put up and we can get into our, you know, and this time of year when it's 20 degrees out and it's dark at 6 o'clock, you know, you get home at you get home and you think, okay, it's jammy time and I ain't going out no more, right? <laughs> like this is it, I'm shutting it down. And I think that there needs needs to be this reminder that we interact with one another, we care for one another. That interactions on social media are good and they can help us stay connected. But they're not genuine connection. They don't they're missing that life piece. We need to go to work on the neuropathy in the Etna Green Church of Christ. That if there's a part of the body who's mourning, we can mourn with you. If there's a part of the body that's filled with joy, we want to be filled with joy with you. Because if we leave it untended, if we don't know the hurt, then we know what happens. And we lose parts of this body that we desperately want to be a part of it. And so communicate, care for one another. Be open-handed, be a blessing, care for one another, look to the other's needs over your own. This is Paul's challenge to us as he's shaping us into a people that we would know what's going on in our lives so we can rejoice together and mourn together. Then I think uh, disciples seek unity and peace. We live in harmony with one another. We honor one another above ourselves. Disciples are ultimately humble. It says, do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not think, do not think you are superior. You know, Jesus, he teaches us how to throw a party in Luke 14. He says, when, you, when you're going to host a party, when you're going to invite people over, there's a way I want you to go about doing it. Like everyone always is all about upward mobility in their social status. And that, that's how everybody's always throwing a party. You bring people along so that you can you can uh, be better rep- or so that you can move up the social ladder and social status that you would be well liked and accepted. But Jesus says, "I don't want you to do that. I want you to invite the poor. I want you to invite invite the lonely and the widows and those that need cared for. I want you to bring along and into your home those uh, those who I love the most, and it's the least of these. And I want you to bless and care for them." When I think about what Jesus is teaching us, it's one, a lesson about true, genuine hospitality is opening our homes to be a blessing to the world and those who need it the most. But he's also teaching us something about our pride. All of my problems have been because of pride. I want you to think about your life. How has pride messed up your life? This incessant need to be right, this, I know better than you, God. 
I'm going to choose my way over your way. The pride issue is rooted all the way back in Adam and Eve choosing their way over God's way. Pride gets in the way. And so I think Paul offers us, not just here, but all over the place, he offers us the encouragement and the challenge when he says to us, do not be conceited, do not be proud, be willing to associate with people of low position. When we make it all about ourselves, when we make it all about our own way and getting what we want, we destroy community, we isolate, we choose our own path, we choose sin, and I have yet to see sin bring life and hope and healing. It always brings divisiveness and death. So Jesus teaches us to throw a party where we invite the lowly in so we wouldn't be conceited, so we wouldn't think about how do I get gained from this, but that we would just care for one another and bless one another and open our hands to each other and be a blessing to the world. What is your posture? Are you a blessing? Are you hospitable? Do you care for one another? Do you communicate your needs? Maybe you're hurting right now. Maybe the Deuteronomy 15 fund sounds pretty good for your checkbook this week. Maybe it Maybe there are things going on in your life that you just need to be encouraged in and know that you're loved and cared for. Can we mourn with you? Can we have joy with you? Can we care for each other and live life together seeking first God in this kingdom? Can the Etna Green Church of Christ be that church? Do you desire it to be that church? where we care for and meet the needs of each other, seeking first God in this kingdom, glorify him in all that we do. That's the church that I lay in bed praying for each night. That I could be a pastor who loves you and knows of your needs. That I wouldn't be not the only pastor of the Etna Green Church of Christ, but each of you would know that we're in this together be a blessing, to be an encouragement, to walk together, to point people to Jesus. Do not be conceited. Don't make it all about ourselves. Make it about the glory of God and seeking him. So Paul, he challenges, challenges us in Philippians 2, and I think it's a nice place to land the plane as we think about Think about what all of this means for us. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being at one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, 
who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place, gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God our Father. What position and what posture do you have before God? May every day be spent on our knees, worshiping, glorifying, and praising Jesus. May we have a posture of humility before God, that we may have a posture of blessing to the world and to each other. Let's pray. God, we love you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for, instead of having clenched fists towards us, God, you have had an open hand of your grace and your blessings towards us. Lord, you have given us Jesus Christ. You have given us forgiveness of sins. You have given us your spirit. We are not alone. We are blessed and we are loved and we are part of your family. We belong to you because of your open, generous hands. May we have those same open, generous hands towards each other. And may they be a blessing to each other. And may they be a blessing to this world. Lord, we give you our hearts. We give you our ways. We give you our will. We give you our desires. We give all of us, all of our strength, all of our mind, all of our hearts. We give it all to you for your glory and your praise. Shape us, transform us, renew us. Let us live a new life in you through the power of your word, the power of your spirit, the power of your love. We praise you now, and we give thanks to you. In Jesus' name, amen.